If you carefully read the 37th Psalm, there's one thing that's going to come through to you loud and clear. And that is the fact that the writer of the 37th Psalm is adamantly opposed to fretting. In the space of the first eight verses of that 37th Psalm, Three times the writer says, fret not. Now when you get right down to it, you know, you're in Bible class sometimes and someone will read a passage. Now what do you think that the writer meant by that? Well, you don't have to wonder what the writer meant when he said, fret not. It's pretty plain. It's pretty straightforward. In fact, fretting is such a common experience, and it is so much the common lot of every man and every woman on the top side of God's green earth, that we don't even have to define it. Can you remember what it's like, or was like, to have a baby in the house? And remember how that sometimes at night, something would go wrong with the baby. And the baby would begin to fret. And when the baby decides that they're going to fret, it does not matter, and they do not take into consideration just how tired we might be. And they don't care one bit how hard it is for us once we've waked up to go back to sleep. Because the fretting baby actually thinks of one thing and one thing only, and that is their own troubles. So the baby gets peeved and whines and yells and screams and cries. And then once everyone in the house is good and awake, and worn out, the baby quietly goes back to sleep. And then we toss and we turn for the rest of the night. The psalmist is telling us, don't live like that. That when something happens that bothers us, and something happens that disturbs us, we face it like grown-ups. And not like babies. He says, for example, fret not thyself because of evildoers. My, that's good advice for the climate of our world right now, isn't it? Now, understand this. When he says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, he does not mean we adopt a spineless gutless attitude toward evil. He's not commending toward us an attitude of indifference toward evil. But what He is doing is telling us to meet evil with courage and not just merely whine about it. Do you remember from literature Shakespeare's Hamlet? The trouble with Hamlet was that Hamlet was fretful. 
When Hamlet was facing a trying situation that should have called out the best and bravest in him, all that Hamlet did was whine and complain that he had ever been born to set it right. To fret. To fret is to face life in a spirit of faithless whining instead of a spirit of cheerful courage. Now think about it. What are some of the things that cause us to be fretful? What are some of the things that cause us to fret? Some folks fret because they get tired. And being tired, they get discouraged. And over this past year, with all the restrictions that have been placed on us, with all the things that we've gone through with this COVID virus pandemic, this is something that's become all too common. Weariness and discouragement. We've become weary of lockdowns. We've become weary of mask orders. We've become weary of not being able to find certain products in the store or seeing that toilet paper limit two per person. That hasn't bothered me near as much as when I went into the store and they said you can only buy three packages of bacon. That's just downright criminal. But you see, we've had to endure all those things. Shortages of products. Limits on products. We can't be with friends and family. Life for the last nearly year has just not been normal for us. And it's caused folks to become weary. It's called, caused a lot of folks to become disheartened. It's created an uptick in drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and suicide. And it's generally made us fretful. We work hard, folks. But you know what? As hard as we work, oftentimes we worry even harder. And our nerves get frayed and we become temperamental and we become irritable and we come short with those around us and we are fretful. And we think, well, what's wrong with me? Well, guess what? You turn to the Word of God and there was a strong, good man. <clears throat> he was God's man. His name was Elijah. And Elijah did not even escape this malady. After his great victory at Mount Carmel over the prophets of Baal, Elijah ran 17 miles in front of Ahab's chariot to the Jezreel. Because it was there that he found that his victory... Largely a victory of force was a bit of a failure. And he found out that Jezebel wanted to kill him. So what did Elijah do? He fled to the wilderness. And in utter and complete weariness, Elijah flung himself up under a juniper tree. And in his despair, and in his weariness, Elijah felt like he was the only faithful prophet of God left on this earth. And you know what Elijah said? He wanted to die. And it wasn't because Elijah was a weakling. Elijah was a strong man. 
He was God's man. He was not a coward. He was a man of great courage. But you know what he was? He was physically exhausted. And he was disappointed. And he was discouraged. He thought when he had defeated those false prophets at Mount Carmel, that the victory was won. And now he discovered his mistake. And he felt like his whole life had gone for nothing. And so tired, exhausted, and discouraged. God's man Elijah gave way to fretting. Just like we are prone to do sometimes. Or sometimes we fret because something hurts us. Occasionally life deals harshly with us. Maybe we lose our wealth and we feel the pinch of poverty. Or we lose our position and are tortured by enforced idleness. Or we lose our health and we become weak and our strength has become weakness. Or we find ourselves being constantly nagged by pain. Or maybe someone we love better than life itself slips from the reach of our hand and they're no longer within the call of our voice. And maybe we go on bravely and cheerfully for a while, but the time comes that we're weary, we're exhausted, and we feel that no one has ever suffered the way we're suffering. Or maybe we become hurt because of what life might withhold from us. No matter how hard we fight, no matter how hard we struggle, the prize that we want eludes us. Our finest dreams never seem to come true. And we try to put on a good front and we try to keep hard and we try to face life with steady courage. And sometimes then we're tempted to whine and complain and feel like life has cheated us. Sometimes we even fret or folks even fret because of what happens to others. We might suffer through the suffering of others that are near and dear to our hearts and that we love deeply. And worse than that, sometimes I've seen folks suffer because of the success of their fellow man. Because strange as it might seem, we don't always take the victories and successes of our friends gracefully. Sometimes we're filled with envy over it. And then there are seasons when we might fret because we simply refuse to accept the inevitable things of life. This will be a shock to you. There are some things that you and I simply cannot escape. And yet, those things that we cannot escape, instead of accepting them bravely and philosophically, we get peeved. And we whine. And we fret. And we rebel. Our world is an ordered world. And if we're wise, 
we'll accept that fact. Accepting that fact, we will not complain that we reap what we sow. We don't argue with the law of gravity. We accept it. But there are other inevitable things that we have to face and ought to face as frankly as we face the law of gravity. We would do well to realize and face the fact that life is a conflict. There is absolutely no worthwhile living that does not involve a strenuous fight. You remember what Jesus said? He said it quite frankly, in this world, you shall have tribulation. Did you hear that? In this world, you shall have tribulation. To be a Christian is not easy. Oh, you'll see the guys on TV with the pretty hair and the pretty teeth that will smile real big and say, Oh, being a Christian will be the easiest life you've ever had. There's a Greek word for that. It's baloney. Being a Christian is not easy. It's a battle. Any piece of driftwood can float downstream, but to go against the current, that's a struggle. And if we're wise, we'll accept the inevitable things of life without whining. You see, one of those inevitable things about life is change. Now, I'm sure I'm the only one in this room that actually struggles with change. Everybody else just accepts it and just goes right along, don't you? Folks, that's the one constant unchanging thing in this world. And that's change. Our world changes. Our nation changes. Our city changes. Our church changes. Our home changes. And to be sure, change is something that can be very upsetting. I will never forget how difficult it was to quit typing my sermons on a typewriter and start putting them on a computer. I only did that about 15 years ago. And I'll tell you something else, another little secret about change. You know, my boys, oh, they store everything on a hard drive or a flash drive. Dad has two printed copies of every sermon. One in a notebook and one in a file cabinet. I believe in redundancy. Change. Change can bring us some genuine bewilderment. But oftentimes it shakes us out of our complacent ruts and compels us to face new situations. We can't do things the way we did 20 years ago because there have been so many changes. But we can't dodge the fact of change. So the only wisdom there is is to accept it. Because you know what? Just as the world around us changes, we change also. It's kind of like this morning right after Bible class, I dropped a piece of paper on the floor and I leaned down to pick it up and Leon was walking up and I said, you know, Leon, the older I get, the further away that floor is. 
You know, even though we don't like to face it, we pass from springtime to winter in life. And if we live long enough, there is no avoiding the fact that we get old. I told someone not long ago that I have one less thing to worry about than I had ten years ago. And they said, what's that? I said, I don't have to worry about dying young anymore. But you know, I've known folks that could never come to grips with the fact of growing old. Because they're always wanting to relive their lost youth or perhaps their misspent youth. And oftentimes, not coming to grips with it, they grow rebellious and cantankerous and sullen and, yes, fretful. Are you listening? Fretting is a foolish waste of time, talent, and energy. There is absolutely nothing more useless than to fret and to whine. Now, some folks don't agree with this. I've known folks that actually feel like they're making a contribution by complaining and airing their grievances. And then sometimes we're kind of like the two boys I read about years ago up in the hills of Tennessee. Excuse me. Mama sent them to town in the wagon to get a wagon load of apples. Well, there was a swollen creek they had to cross. And they crossed that swollen creek, and on the way back they had a wagon full of apples. And when they crossed that swollen creek and headed up the hill, the back board on that wagon gave way. And all those apples rolled down the hill and into the rushing waters of that creek. Well, John took the team in the wagon and went on home to tell Mama that all the apples had fallen into the creek. She said, well, where's your brother Jim? He's sitting on the creek bank cussing. Neither one of them thought about trying to salvage a single apple. They just fretted over it and did something totally useless. Beloved, fretting is wasteful and hurtful. See the cuffs on my shirt? Sometimes these cuffs get frayed. And you know what the action is that causes these cuffs to get frayed? The action that causes these cuffs to get frayed is called fret. The cuffs on my shirt become frayed because they are fretted. Fretting wears a man or a woman out just like fretting wears out the cuffs on a shirt. And fretting is actually pretty hard on the people we have to live with, too. It's easy to know why some men run away from home. It's difficult to work hard all day, come home at night to some chronic grumbler who's forever bewailing her terrible lot in life. And it's also easy to see why a lot of women grow old far before their time. Because they're having to live with some fretful, nagging whiner that clings to the dark side of life like ivy clings to the ruins of a building. And fretting makes our profession of Christianity 
into a lie. And it utterly kills our usefulness. Dale Carnegie wrote a book some years ago. Maybe you know who Dale Carnegie was. Maybe you remember. Some of you may have gone through a Dale Carnegie course. But Dale Carnegie wrote a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Would you like to know an improved method for losing friends? Do you want to know how to lose friends and influence people in the wrong direction? Just develop the habit of whining and fretting and grumbling and complaining. Now, let's face it squarely in the eye and admit the fact that we do not have to fret. We don't have to do it. Now, I will not. I would not. And I'm not going to deny the fact that life has dealt quite harshly with some folks. In fact, life may be dealing very harshly with some of you right even now. And there is no truer statement than the statement you've heard me say before that in every pew sits a broken heart. And I know that as close as we are, some of us, I know that there are darkened rooms in your lives into which I have never gone. And desperately right now in your mind, some are wanting to square your jaw, clench your fist, and shout in my face, Don't fret. Don't fret, you say. You don't know what I've been through. You were in my shoes. You'd fret too. You don't know anything about my life. You don't know anything about the tragedy that dogs my footsteps. And you tell me not to fret. Relax. I'll confess that. I'll confess that I don't really know. I will even confess that if I were in your shoes, I might, I might possibly fret far more than you do. But I'll say it again. You don't have to fret. However hard your lot, there are hundreds, possibly thousands, in situations just as desperate, carrying on with serenity and joyful courage. I think one of the best illustrations that I can think of happened a number of years ago with my own family. On Christmas Eve, 1984, at noon that day, we left the cemetery having buried my granddaddy Perkins. The next year, it was Christmas Eve, and we were all gathered at Mom's and Dad's house, me and Norma, and Bryant was almost two years old. My mom and dad, my granddaddy Bryant and my grandmother Perkins. And it was Christmas time, and there was a little boy nearly two years old that had Christmas in his eyes, and we were all enjoying each other. And my grandmother Perkins was just moping around sad 
unhappy. And my granddaddy Bryant looked at her and he said, Lois, what is wrong with you? She said, well, I just miss Richard so much. He said, well, Lois, you don't need to think about what you don't have. You need to think about what you've got. You've got your son in there. You've got your grandson in there. You've got your great-grandson in there. And you've got your health. You need to enjoy what you've got. And you know, sometimes we speak before we think. And she looked at him and she kind of raised her voice. And she said, well, you just don't know what it's like. Now, he had lost his life's companion seven years earlier. He had also stood beside the open grave of a grown son. He had also stood beside the grave of an infant daughter who died with leukemia. And she looked at him and said, You just don't know what it's like. He looked at her and he yelled and he said, The mischief I don't, who you think you're talking to? You see, we don't have to fret. Our lot may be hard. We may be passing through deep waters. But others are passing through those deep waters or similar deep waters. The antidote to living a fretful life is faith. It's faith in God. The psalmist mentions that to us over and over. As you read through the Psalms, you'll read, Trust in the Lord. You'll read, Delight thyself also in the Lord. You'll read, Commit thy way unto the Lord. You'll read, Rest in the Lord. And the psalmist was sure that fretfulness and a vital faith could not live together. And he was right. The Lord left us a legacy of peace. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When we make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives, we'll receive His peace. And fretfulness will vanish. Just as the morning rays of the sun drive away the darkness of the night. Are there changes you need to make? For Jesus to be Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to make those changes as together we stand and while we sing.